Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Spark Up podcast. My name is Alan, and in this episode, we take on a topic that seems to come up a lot, screen time for children. What are the pros? What are the cons? Is it good? Is it evil? It's something that keeps coming up because let's face it, kids growing up today are surrounded by technology, but do they necessarily have to be exposed to it and to what level? So in this podcast, I talked to Liran Rabinowitz, who himself has four daughters, but he also works in emerging technology. In other words, it's his profession. But what he does at work and what he does at home with his daughters, between him and his wife, are quite different. There's quite a big contrast. And uh, we go deep on this. We, we, we talk about the pros and cons. We talk about the scenarios. We talk about how technology can either hamper or improve things. We talk about empathy. We talk about creativity. It is a fascinating deep dive on a family that has somewhat more heavy restrictions, let's say, on technology than we do in our household. No one's right. No one's wrong. Just always an interesting way of doing things. As always, there's notes uh, in the show notes below. And without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Liran Rabinowitz on screens, technology, creativity, empathy, and everything that surrounds it. Hey, Liran, welcome to Spark Hub, and thanks for taking the time, as is tradition on the on the show. We'd, I always like to open with a, a quote from the guest. So if you don't mind, uh, if you've got a quote, fire away. So my, my quote comes from actually my wife's second cousin. Uh, he's 14. And when I heard it, I just thought it was ingenious. You have to think of it with a, with a French accent. And okay. it goes like this, one life. <laughs> and how and often it. does he use it? That's it. He uses it all the time. Okay. Uh, but we use it, um, I use it quite a bit myself. Um, I just find that it summarizes really almost everything I have to say in so many situations. Um, it, it has an application yeah. in every situation, doesn't it? If you think Pretty about much. it. Pretty much. Oh, nice. It, it reminds me a little bit of what Muhammad Ali said when someone said to him, what is the shortest poem uh, you can think of? And he said, me, we. <laughs> um, one life is pretty close. It's short mm. enough and it, it, it packs a punch. It's pretty um, short. So I'd love to dive right in, Liran. And, and Go for it. Um, one of the topics I'd love to discuss with you is technology. Yeah. I've had a lot of conversations with different parents. I will confess that um, in our household, we're fairly liberal with technology and screens, um, and, the, and the children seem to take well to it. Uh, I myself was a bit of a gamer when I was a kid, but I managed to balance that with outdoor activity. Um, but I'd love to hear, you know, tell us first a little bit about yourself. Also, you have four children. And uh, what's the mm-hmm. policy in your house around screens and tech? We, we don't have a policy. We just don't provide them. There's no TV. We might be buying one soon, though. But um, it wouldn't be for open use for the kids. We have an old computer that sits somewhere, sometimes around the living room. Depending on which parent is more around at the time, it'll be used a little bit more, a little bit less. When it's just me, the computer goes away. And there's pretty much zero screen time for the kids. Um, When my wife's around, sometimes they might watch a show here and there, and that's about it. Um, We definitely don't medicate kids with screens in restaurants or on drives or in difficult situations. We don't bribe with technology. Um, We don't provide it. We don't take it away. We also don't prohibit it. So when 
we are around other people and their kids have technology by all means. Our kids can partake and join in. There's technology at the schools. And we, we take it as a part of life and that's fine. But in the context of one life, <laughs> I suppose, um, I've watched way too many children and way too many adults being too lonely, being too isolated, not knowing how to reach out, not knowing how to touch another person metaphorically or physically, not knowing how to knock on a door, not knowing how to reach out and start a conversation. And I find that terrifying. And so if there is a policy, it's actually not tech-driven, it's, it's socially driven. I like to have our kids interact with other children for at least a few hours every day outside of school, um, in a place that will involve sport and movement and complexity and some challenges and some childhood politics and hopefully some mini, you know, budding seeds of romance here and there and, and, and bonds and friendships and memories and all the things that we took completely for granted as kids. And that today um, I tend to not see in many pockets of society. Um, ironically, walking through a housing development the other day, I saw a whole bunch of kids strolling and roaming around the open grounds just as we did. Mm. And for some reason, in any other neighborhood that I go to, I, I don't see that at all. I don't see the kids looking for activities or activating their imagination or doing anything like that. I see them selecting they swipe left, they swipe right. They're very good at it. Everybody goes, wow, your three-year-old knows how to work a phone. Wow. And at the same time, they might want to stop and think, that's apparently all the intelligence it takes when we sit there basking in our own pride of how efficient we are and how wonderful these technologies are. No, they're designed for, for a simple mind. That's fine. The policies, the other policies that we do have is before any um, protracted journey, any multi-hour drive, we buy our kids um, notebooks. And we give them a nice yeah. fancy new notebook and a nice fancy new pen, sometimes a little set of pencils. And it's amazing how many games they know how to create. It's amazing how independently they'll go off and write stuff. They'll write whole things and how much they enjoy then reporting to us back their little literary piece or showing us what they've drawn or or taking the, sometimes they even set their own little projects. They'll, we were in Valencia, Valencia in Spain, and they, um, they spent the whole day studying and observing doors. And when we came back to the hotel at night, um, back then Emmanuel was eight and Natalie was six, they sat down and decided they were both creating their own Valencian door. Um, and they, they sat for a bit longer than we were hoping, um, but it's hard to interrupt artists at work. Exactly. Uh, and that, and that's what they did. They created their own Valencian doors. It's it's pretty amazing because with um, you know with technology you can see the history, right? You can see where the kids are visiting. You might even have some snazzy little app that that controls them and decides for them what they can and can't do. Um, we don't have that with the diaries, <laughs> but what we do get, or with the notebooks, what we do get is an incredible stroll through their minds just by flicking through their pages. 
and what interests them and what doesn't interest them. And sometimes randomly there'll be a drawing there. Um, earlier this year, we went on a friend's boat just to see some of the dolphins in the bay. We live in Gibraltar and there's a beautiful bay around us and the dolphins thrive around here. So a friend took us out. And I think it was a couple of weeks later that Natalie, back then I think she was already eight, um, decided to meticulously try and recreate her experience on the boat on paper and it was phenomenal watching the detail that she went to and and seeing her journey through her own memory then reflected when do you get to see that in any of these in any of these gadgets so we love the process that they go through we love the fact that they have to constantly create and author and um and pull together ideas and we love the fact that they get bored. We love boredom. We cherish boredom. And we love the fact that when they're selecting, it's out of a palette of ideas in their own mind rather than something that's come up as an algorithm on some screen. Uh, we love the fact that their eyes are commonly cast at the, at the horizons of the planet and not just at the edge of a tiny, you know, multi-inch screen. We love the fact that colors for them uh, the colors of the world and not just um, pixels. That's most of it. What, how, what do we do instead? So we're very, very lucky that our girls love the water and, um, and they're all swimmers. Apart from the baby, Olivia, who's only three, is busting to start and she keeps on begging. Unfortunately, the local educational pool has been shut for a little while, but um, we do plan to get a much more involved. And for us, the, okay, they're in, you know, they're in leagues and they're, they, compete around Spain and um, Emmanuel is eyeing the National League of Spain next year and she's already been collecting times for it and it's all very exciting as a sport but primarily for us it is the medium so we use swimming uh, for them as a platform to forge um, intercultural friendships with kids all around Spain. They've already got friends in towns all around our region. They've developed some really strong bonds, some incredible experiences uh, they love it. They're they're enthused by it. They feel they have their own edge, their own uniqueness. Um, they feel it distinguishes them from the run-of-the-mill kid who's doing the same WhatsApping and group, whatever, chatting and whatever as all the other kids are doing uh, 50 hours a day. It's a huge part of their identity. In fact, Emmanuel said to me the other day when I was talking to her about whether or not she should go to one of the races. It's a bit far. And she said to me, Dad, don't interfere with my career, please. <laughs> you're using the c word. she's 10 and i'm like so you're using the c word on me already wow um uh and i thought that's that's amazing like the fact that you've got your own missions and purpose and your your crowd you're already you know building your own path and you've got your own dreams and they're yours and so when you're in school and the kid achieves higher than you or less than you whatever it is it doesn't really matter because you already know that you are your your own unique concept compared to 200 other kids in your grade and so it's not a competition you're in your journey and and that that for me gives me a huge amount of satisfaction to know that my child is safe of constant comparisons and of constant i mean other kids Will often just say, you know, well, that, that kid's the best in the class and that's the fastest and that's kind of the end of the story. But for her, there's no comparison. Really. She knows herself. And I think um, allowing kids to know themselves is an amazing thing. Well, what are your spans between your, between your kids? I have, I have a 10-year-old, 10-year-old, 8-year-old, 6-year-old and 3-year-old. Um, yeah. And 
um, two years ago we were on holidays and my now six-year-old then four-year-old was like dad look what I can do and she suddenly started swimming uh, front crawl or freestyle and I was like oh this is so cool like <laughs> she digs it as well <laughs> this will be easy um, and I took a video and sent it to the coach of the team that my two older ones are in and he said we're going to admit her into the team like she's four he's like yeah but she swims too well to go into the baby water acquaintance classes so we're just gonna have to cope with her in the team and that was very odd and and now she's um she's figured it out she understands that there's time for plan time for training and there's space in between to make some friendships and how does she express herself in that context so many boundaries that she had to identify they don't speak Spanish. This is all in Spanish. And then the other day I heard him and were like literally fling out whole beautiful, complete sentences in Spanish. I was so happy for her because I knew that it made life so much easier for her. Yeah, it's been, it's been an incredible journey. I don't regret their, um, their technology diet. Um, no, not at all. I, I think it's interesting you bring it up because it's somewhat of a polarizing topic and famously uh, the founder of apple steve jobs never let his kids have ipads <laughs> mm-hmm. um as if he knew something we didn't when he was making this very addictive product and um there is another guy i don't know if you know a guy named uh he's quite famous in the u.s his name's ben shapiro and yes, he, he's uh he famously he's very uh, um uh orthodox jewish and he observes the shabbat religiously but he also makes sure his four kids so he's got four kids as well they don't uh, use technology in any way they still do pen and paper so that's, uh, that's common amongst the ultra orthodox yeah it's very, very yeah. common but um even though he's running a media empire which i find fascinating yeah. so i think i think the two examples i gave you are people that you know, earn their living through technology or creation of technology or media platforms and yet when it comes to their own children they seem to have the wisdom and the foresight to not get them uh, involved too heavily at an early stage in those very technologies that they leverage. So I just bring so, that up as, a, yeah, as an Yeah, no, it's, it is interesting. I mean, my life is technology as well. I'm a technology lawyer. And so for 20-something years, I've been in the depth of emerging technologies. Um, when Emmanuel was, I think, five and she lost her first tooth, she wrote the tooth fairy a preemptive note. Dear tooth fairy, I need a phone see what you can do. And so <laughs> the tooth fairy wrote back, um, Emmanuel, we understand that you're only five. Do you have a note from your parents authorizing you to actually acquire a phone? And she wrote back, tooth fairy, um, what's your name? Are you a boy or a girl? Um, this is very strange. <laughs> um, and we wrote back, well, uh, you clearly lack the authorization, so we cannot provide you with a phone. So she wrote back, well, can I have a superpower at least? It's like, well, you don't seem to have authorizations for that either. So we'll give you, um, we'll give you one of two choices. You can either have the superpower of making people smile, or maybe you can read the odd thought. So she woke up in the morning trying her hardest to either make her smile and prove that she'd been that she'd received something from the tooth fairy after her rigorous negotiation. Um, and then she, at some point, asked us. She said, "Dad, why can't I? All the kids have one." And we said to her, "The reason is really, really simple. We love you. When we go to a restaurant." and other kids are being medicated with um, with their technology. Uh, we're sitting there with you, and we're reading the menu together, and looking at the view together, and assessing the architecture together, and exploring each other's experience together, and reacting together, tasting together, sharing plates, 
having fun together. And the table next to us will have three kids each with their own little gadget and the parents will be completely ignoring them. And we don't like to ignore you. We love to have you around. What so was when your other, response to that when, they, when you explained she, that to them? She thoroughly understood it. She right. thoroughly understood She got it. And she's not upset that she hasn't. Next year when she goes to high school, she will have to have for educational purposes some sort of gadget, be it a laptop or uh, – uh, and then we'll figure out what's okay and not okay in these contexts of her, her tween years. Um, at some point in time, it will be entirely her choice. But it was very important for us to establish her preference for human interaction, her ability to reach out to people, her ability to see people, and not to run to the refuge of um, gadgetry before she first of all pays attention to the people around her and acknowledges the team and tribe that she's within. So, um, yeah, I'm not too worried about that, actually, to be honest. It's fascinating. I think you're now the third person on that list who who understands technology as a career, or should I say as a way of making a living, <laughs> and certainly allows children to not be affected, I guess, too early on in, in their development. Um, and when did you and your wife make this choice? Like, how did it come about? What, how did it come about that you said, you know, with the first child, we're just not going to let them do this? Was it just from seeing other parents or was there something else going on? So one, I found it quite disgusting um, personally. I mean, I know that's quite an extreme thing to say, but watching parents just shove a gadget in a kid's face to silence the kid, I was I was as appalled by that as I was by, um, I suppose, by, by other forms of sidelining your child and silencing your child. Um, Emmanuel, when she was born, was very uh, communicative and very demanding and very assertive. And we completely embraced her personality strength and thought that, yes, it makes for a bit of a challenge in raising your child, but surely that gives you a lot of comfort in terms of her ability to cope with the world and and insist on what's hers and and you know and, and safeguard herself and look out for herself at a later age. Um, I think one of the things that concerned us was actually at the most basic mechanical health level, uh, radiation. So um, we weren't keen on having highly, um, highly, let's say, um, untested at the time at least, and probably still today gadgets around our kid's brain or face um, impacting who knows what, whether it's, whether it is their brain or perhaps their nervous system or perhaps their vision or perhaps whatever else. These things I think are still underexplored and underreported. I think that was probably the initial angle. So we wouldn't, for example, ourselves talk on the phone and hold the baby. Or I remember at some point when we were designing a home that we were going to live in, we made sure the fridge was far enough away and other major electricals weren't close to the bedrooms. Um, because there was the possibility of them being adjacent to the bed with just a wall dividing. So I think in the beginning it was more just to do with plain radiation until we started seeing the wider effects of children who simply don't know how to interact. I've got friends who I work with, with kids of a similar age, who do not know how to engage other kids at all. And they've been through kindergarten and nursery and they've been through um, six years of elementary and now they're in high school with very strange personality traits that they themselves are already suffering from. These are young kids, new teens, who are already deeply, deeply lonely. 
and I don't just see it there. I see um, I see people in their late twenties and early thirties at work in a very similar situation, interacting with a lot of distance between them and others, not knowing how to bridge that um, intuitive space that perhaps for us came much more normally and was was much warmer and much more fluid. And the fact that the people have to first seek consent to be in contact through a WhatsApp message, make sure the time is perfect, make sure the temperature is correct, and then confirm that there is an interest and then perhaps take the risk that the person might not fully be engaged, have the call, maybe successful. Wow. I mean, talk about risk aversion. How is it yeah. for us? We'd, we'd call. If the person was there, they'd answer. More, more often than not, it was a pleasant conversation. You'd walk away feeling re-energized by your friendship or by your family member. And every now and then a conversation would go a little bit sad. You'd go, oh, that wasn't quite right. But normally using the phone was by and large, a positive experience. You'd connect with people you cared for and you would take that risk point blank from the first moment that you would dial and you'd normally walk away quite happy and at worst they maybe wouldn't answer or maybe they didn't have the time to talk. Yeah. That, that was well, the worst that could happen. It's a different age, isn't it? And, and I, I share a lot of your concerns. I think in my life when I was younger and especially I'd say maybe 12, 13, I did something called computer camp. And it was half a day learning to code and half a day of archery or canoeing or outdoor activity or something like what, what you might call team building today in corporate speak. But what I found interesting is I, I was very grateful for having the balance of the technology and the outdoorsiness at the time. But the difference was obviously with the technology at the time, you had to know how to code, you had to be literate, you had to have sentence structure, syntax, uh, you know, the computer just didn't do what you needed it to do until you had to sort of enforce. So it was almost like building a relationship with the machine. But nowadays, sure. well, you know how things look because you're in the emergent technologies. And so I, I wonder what you think, because part of Spark Hub is looking at the payoff in adulthood and creating the sparks that get the, the, child, the child, child on that path. What do you think the payoff will be for your children in adulthood uh, having this diet at such a young age? I think, I think what they are engaging in more than many other kids um, is, is learning about themselves. And their, their degree of self-awareness is so elevated that sometimes I find it baffling. So my eight-year-old can have an argument with me or with her sisters or with, or with my wife. And she can come to me later. Often they write notes actually to each other post arguments. It's fascinating. And my eight-year-old might write something like, Dear Dad, I'm really sorry for how I behaved. But in those situations, sometimes I just find that I can't control myself. When my other sister says such and such, I, I, I feel myself losing control. And it frustrates me to no end. But sometimes I just can't regulate how I feel in those moments. And so I say things that I don't really mean. And I'm really sorry about it. And then in the beginning of the summer, she I actually saw her bucket list of things she wanted to achieve and beyond um, cycling. And I think she wanted to improve some of her swimming times. And I don't remember what else was there, but she had, had a whole list of things. She wanted. One of them was learning to control my temper. And I thought, wow, you are like... That's amazing. Like there are people that I know in, in the depth of their adulthood who don't even recognize the basic foundations of their own personality. And you at the age of eight can basically see a mirror of yourself without any assistance whatsoever. Taking that then and choosing a career for yourself or choosing 
a life partner or a, or whatever, anything significant, choosing where you want to live based on such a deep knowledge of yourself, I think is such an incredible advantage. So from my perspective, my work's almost done. <laughs> um, they, so I guess they, your, payoff is, your payoff is early retirement as a parent. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, I think when your kids develop a, an elevated sense of self-awareness, then your whole dialogue um, with them is so much more meaningful. And your, your communication interaction with them, it, it's just there's so much more of an impact in it. And it's so much more equal because you're not there preaching to them. You're... You're exploring their thoughts with them or, you're, or they're exploring yours. Um, I mean, they're often there for me just as I'm there for them. It's clear that I'm the dad and they're the kids, but at the end of the day, they have huge ability. They have a huge ability to, to actually chip in, lean in, and help anyone else in the family beyond themselves. It's an incredible – I love the way that they see the world and I love the way they see themselves. Uh, and half the time I'm busy trying not to disrupt – their own journey. And by the way, with swimming, they know, like there's, there's no one's forced to do anything. They could, any of them could leave it tomorrow, even though they're, they're busy training these days, almost every single day. Nobody's, they don't have to be there if they don't want to. Most of their choices are their own. And interestingly enough, even though they're, even though they're all swimming for that matter, they're all there for completely different reasons. And their approach to it is completely different. And their approach to their strokes and the way they move their body is completely different. And the way they relate to their competitions is completely different. But somehow as a platform, it's served all of them incredibly well. Also dovetails with surfing and with spending the summer at the beach a lot and with feeling free amongst the waves. And so there's that glamorous, as far as they're concerned, aspect to it. But um, from a personality perspective and from a – I just think knowing yourself is an incredible thing. People spend their whole lives not even – confronting themselves and these kids are they're checking themselves every single day as a foreigner as a swimmer as a child as as a communicator as a sister they're constantly applying self-analysis to their situations so it's really cool and so they've it sounds like they've done the heavy lifting early so I suppose I suppose one of the benefits of that is they're going to put their therapist going to put they're going to put any future therapist out of work. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I actually would expect them to engage therapists quite regularly because I think one of the things that they've learned is um, teamwork and relying on others and depending and and sharing and supporting. And I'm hoping that they will be open enough to seek the expertise of other wise and helpful people. At any given time, um, I think it's more it's more the openness to to the world and themselves and the balance. And they don't see themselves as ideal creatures. They understand their flaws in many ways, and they're on a mission to to evolve. That's amazing. Is, it, it also makes me think it's one of the. Uh, there's a few episodes I've recorded around the power of empathy. And using the Spark Hub template, what does empathy pay off in adulthood? Well, it's leadership. And it strikes me that everything you're saying about your girls, even though they are divergent and they have different reasons for doing what they're doing, is it sounds like they're, if I may say, they're going to be future leaders. They'll know how to corral people. They'll know how to connect with people. They'll know how to listen and respond. They'll know how to write notes. They'll know how to analyze things. And I suppose a, a question I'm leading to with this is, Great that they have career aspirations, but I'm slightly worried as a parent now about what careers of the future look like, especially with, you know, AI coming up and automation and 
just all the things that I grew up with that gave me practicing, if you will, practice grounds don't seem to be available. And certainly kids nowadays are coming up wanting to be YouTube stars and, and, and sort of online heroes. And I just, I, I worry about that type of stuff. So I would defer to you as someone who's in this space, who's in the emerging mm. technology space with four leaders clearly growing under your wings. <laughs> what, are you, what are your concerns about careers of the future? Are, are you hopeful? My, my, I'm, not, I'm not worried at all, to be perfectly honest. Um, I, from my perspective, a career itself is a medium and less of a goal. So to my mind, your agility and your ability to to assess and to take stock of your situation at any given time and to decide what changes you might have to implement are possibly um, more important than what profession you're actually practicing that might be replaced or not replaced by AI or by trends or whatever else. Um, I think future fitness in my mind um, has a lot to do with what's being wiped out by communication technologies. I think, as you said before, the ability to empathize, the ability to escape the narcissistic practices of social media, the ability to to, to bring that advanced human touch, uh, you know, both metaphorically and physically to the world, the ability not to be entrapped by all the very, very clear trenches that are now marked all over our society, I think is probably, possibly, but perhaps probably the best chance someone has to um, cultivate the, their future fitness. Um, because by seeing things from outside the, um, for want of a better word, social templates, they're more likely to have, I guess, a broader perspective on where the possibilities lie and how to elegantly navigate and, and um, I guess, um, I guess, mobilize themselves into zones of opportunity rather than being stuck with the masses or competing for the same improbable, low-paying, unrewarding situation. Um, from an aspirational perspective, my my eldest sort of wants to emulate me in some ways and wants to study law and architecture. And um, my second daughter, she wants to be a vet, but she also wants to be an astronaut. Um, my third daughter wants to be <laughs> either a builder, a cop, a teacher, sometimes a lawyer, but most of the times the most random uh, manual labor job that she can find. And um, my fourth child wants to be a baby shark. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> from my perspective, uh, these are all valid careers. <laughs> um, I just I want to know that they're that they're touching on their passions on a daily basis, and that whatever it is they're doing, they're finding themselves and seeing themselves in their day to day and in their routine, rather than just being washed away by momentum, especially one that wasn't initiated by them. I trust that they'll be that they won't fall short of anyone else. I trust that they're that their life skills will take them where they need to go. Interestingly, they all do talk about sport as an integral part of their lifestyle. So Emmanuel, my 10-year-old, she wants to be a triathlete. Yeah. Um, and she wants to take it to the highest level. Uh, Natalie just talks about swimming. Leona really loves football and loves playing football. I think that's more a social thing because she has some friends there. But they all, they all see themselves in sport. Um, 
Olivia's desperate to uh, to to become a swimmer already. Um, I love the fact that they take sports so seriously. I think that's really important, and I think that's also part of future fitness. And part of that. I mean, not to delve onto another topic, but the last guest I had is a sports uh, physiotherapist, and she's got two daughters. And uh, if you listen to that episode, there's things that she says that I thought were myths, you know, that uh, that that aren't myths actually, such as you know, you you can lift weights when you're young; it won't stunt your growth. There are ways okay. to recover. You can get by with seven minutes a day. So she she dove into it because she, like me, believes that kids need to move and learn how to move their bodies and and i i observe and i've said this on many episodes i lament how much phys ed is being cut or how oh much health, health and safety culture has come in and said oh, we oh my god do that they're not anymore. allowed to run no they're not allowed to run my girls are not allowed to run at school oh really why is that what, what would you because a, a few years ago i think two kids sort of collided and ever since the parents in gibraltar have banded together and now running at schools is prohibited that's unbelievable. They will get punished if they run, unless it's within a gym class. There's no running, not even in the playground, especially not in the playground. Um, if they skip it away, which looks a bit like running, they could get punished as well. Then they went to the point of not allowing their water bottles in the playground. So now they're not drinking water in the playground either because many of the water bottles are like, you know, um, they retain the cold, so they've got a, a metal element, and, and that's considered dangerous. So drinking water, no. Running, no. And I'm like, this is uh, – eating nuts is also a no. They're not allowed to eat nuts or bring nuts to school. And I understand allergies, yes, of course. But when, we, when the kids go to Spain to swim or to compete, the coach and the chairman of the team always stresses, please, kids, bring only fruit and nuts. And I just think – I mean – I haven't heard that there's any statistical issue with people in Spain being more at risk than people in Gibraltar, for that matter. Um, and Gibraltar is a wonderful place, but it really is. And as a foreign, as a foreigner here, I really love it. But I, I, the fact that my kids are not allowed to run at school, it kills a bit of me. Um, I've, never, I've never heard that before. That is the, the first time in all these interviews I've been doing. But I've heard that running was banned. I mean, that's a staple, Bad. basic, fundamental piece of sport. And um, I, I, I don't want to spend the whole episode lamenting that, but that's quite incredible. And I suppose it brings me to another reason I'm running this hub is because in if I look, there's a statistic that I repeat very often, which is 20% of your lifespan of learning is in school, in a formal environment, in a classroom. 80%, 8-0 is going to be outside of a classroom. And so, yeah. you know, what do you do when your kids are outside a classroom? What do you teach them when they're outside of formal education? How do you balance it? This is the, one of the big quests I'm sort of on to identify all the different sparks. But to say that, you know, I speak to a couple of guests, what happens when music is chopped out? What happens when phys ed is chopped out? What happens when, as you say, everyone's being pushed into a STEM mentality that can easily be amortized over time or can easily lead you into career paths that are uh, competitive and uninteresting. And it seems that the, the human subjects, the things that make us human, seem to be the first to go. So we have to seek these things outside of the school environment or find other ways to, you know, to teach them. And it, I think it's a shame, but it, it seems to now be falling on the parents that care. You know the parents that want to keep these things alive. I, I, I myself was, you know, had a lot of music and a lot of sport in my life, and thank God I did because it's given me, 
I suppose a little bit like your your daughter's, just so many options to to move and think and 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 sort of imagine. And it seems to me, as you say, that's being strangled out of out of formal education. But to think in, that in, it's a problem. Yeah. You can't yeah. run. I, I, I mean, that's just for me. I don't know why there's not more outrage about it. Um, but. I think um, I, I I don't know, and I think it's a, it's an incredible loss. Um, for us as kids, we did crazy stuff at school. I mean, we had we had beautiful school grounds with trees and stuff. So we used to build for in Australia. We used to build forts in our school and and have full on like I mean informal gang wars between classes and imagine ourselves as some form of Jedi sort of creature and do all sorts of crazy stuff and and we used to play tag in the overgrown ungardened areas of the school and crawl through. Oh, we did we did so much stuff that involved movement. And never was there a complaint. Um, and never was anyone really hurt either. Like no one really broke anything or sprained anything or got too scratched up. We were just being kids. And I think for me that's one of the biggest parts of parenting. It's not getting in the way of your kids while they're just being kids and and yeah. let them go through their process um, I don't actually want to shape them too much. I just want to make sure that I'm slightly balancing out what society has collectively lost. We're all in that struggle. And it's, as I say, my hope with recording episodes like these, that there's a hub of somewhere you can go and find these things and, and know that you're not alone in that struggle. So uh, I think that's really important. So one of the things that we do, which I think is rather unusual, is um, our kids are very, very comfortable in the kitchen. They, so my six-year-old likes to make pastries and she's very nifty with her handwork on the pastries. And my eight-year-old can make rissoles and from scratch, like with all the fancy ingredients that go inside. And the other day um, she was making schnitzels and they make salads and they'll make pasta and they'll fry eggs and they'll make toast um, there's lots of stuff that they know how to make. In fact, a couple of summers ago when they were only, well, the older ones were eight and six, they prepared a whole dinner for us. It was mostly like ravioli and salad, but still, <laughs> um, they set the table, they clear the table. Um, and I think teaching your kids, um, these life skills generally and getting them involved in their own food and health and nutrition, um, is also super important. So, for example, they do eat occasionally pizzas and other stuff, but there'll always be a salad there. And I, I take it in your house they don't find these things on the iPad, right? <laughs> no, well, no. Uh, we have an iPad somewhere, by the way. I just don't know where it is, and I don't know if it works. <laughs> um, but, um, no, most of the time they're imagining. It's actually really cool. Like if they see one of us cooking something, one of them is likely to run up, take out a notebook and start documenting the process or inquiring or asking to get involved. And at which point we talk to them about hygiene, mm. about washing your hands first and about making sure that your hair is tied and that your clothes are clean and that you're approaching food with a appropriate respect and make sure that your surfaces are appropriately prepared and that your food is appropriately washed and cut and treated and what peeling does and where the nutrition is and the nutrition of each product. Um, and they're very curious about these things, and they'll ask them anyway. But um, we like to explore life together with them and have them walk out feeling that they have 
abilities and um, an arsenal of things that they can use to to feel their independence other than just um, surfing through a browser. Well, it sounds to me as if the wish that your daughter made from the Tooth Fairy came true. She's getting superpowers. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> so, think yeah, right. she had foresight, as did her parents. And in so, many ways, yeah. it comes back to the quote, right? One life. I, I One can life. suddenly see. I can suddenly see how the life led without too much addiction is is a good one. It's really fun. It's really fun. Also, watching how much they delight in their connections with other people, and how significant these connections are to them, because they're not substituting them with um, screen-driven dopamine and with counting likes and with one-liners on WhatsApp. That they collect their social pleasure from real interaction. So real interaction really thrills them. They really, really love it, and they connect really easily with other kids. But today we, ha- we ha- heard a funny comment from our three-year-old in the car. We were driving home from um, the beautiful city of Malaga where Picasso is um, heavily celebrated, and uh, there are some great museums there. We've, we've been quite a few times with the kids. They enjoy museums. Anyway, we're driving home, and the three-year-old says – I have a superpower. <laughs> like, okay, we've heard the, we've heard about these things before. And she's like, I can tickle you, and you will laugh so hard. And we're like, this is this is nice. And she's like, but don't tickle me. Only I tickle you. You don't tickle me. <laughs> um, but uh, we like the fact that she thought of herself as gifted in a particular way, even though it was only associated with tickling. Um, I think that's really a lot of it. You know, you ask in terms of future fitness um how do we how do we view how a child is likely to cope in the face of an uncertain future and um i think building in your child unique instances of um of distinct confidence in themselves is really that you know it's the that's the magic fuel that'll drive them through other difficulties because the second they know that they can excel and um, and in some ways, and this is a bit comparative, but only a little bit, outshine their peers in various little pockets of their ability, not, not to put them anyone down and not to put themselves above anyone, but just from the perspective of, yes, we know how to excel. Yes, we're experienced at, at, at developing an expertise. I think the practice of developing their own expertise, I think, is an incredibly helpful tool, which can probably apply to close to any scenario, because it let, it just allows them to believe in themselves and be universal adapters. And be universal and, adapters. I can't think of any other way to close the episode than on that story that that the power is in tickles, and <laughs> and, and everything and everything that follows. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so thank, thank you for, for joining uh, the Spark My podcast. Pleasure. I appreciate the, uh, the discussion and one life. It's really, really Indeed, good. Man, one, life. It. one life. One life. One <laughs> life. It has to be in French accent, of course. Oui. Oui. Thank you, Leon. I appreciate you My coming pleasure, on the show. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. Uh, If you like what you hear, you can dive into a lot more on thesparkhub.com.